everybody, welcome to the Politics Podcast with Malcolm Clark and Liam Carr. It is the 1st of February, so already a 12th into the year goes by so fast. Just over three months of the general election, and tonight we're going to talk mainly about education. So Liam, how are you getting on this week? I'm doing alright, yeah, we've passed a 100-day milestone, and it was quite interesting how this was marked by both Labour and uh, the Conservatives. Ed chose to outline our plans for the NHS, to hire more doctors, more nurses, and invest in our NHS. Do you know what Cameron chose to do, how he chose to market? No. He chose to market by reducing the cap on benefits even further. So he brought in a benefits cap, he wants it to be even less. And such a policy, without bringing in things like rent controls and looking at letting fees, is just another attack on the poor. So the difference between the parties in this election is quite clear. We've got a Labour Party who's going to build a stronger economy that works for the many and not the few, and we're going to invest in our NHS, and we've got Tories that are going to further attack the poor. So the choice is very clear. Yeah, I do feel that as we go into our agenda, Liam, when I'm out canvassing and people say you're all the same, I do feel slightly more aggrieved than I might have done maybe a year or two ago. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We're definitely not all the same. Right. Okay, so our first topic, Liam's going to introduce most of these because a lot of it relates to where the industry that Liam works in, which is, of course, education, as well as being uh, very good at science. He obviously teaches people for a living, so uh, we're going to hear his views on this. So, Liam, uh, what we want to talk about is um, Nicky Morgan, first and foremost. So do you want to take us through that initial uh, story for us, please? Well, obviously, the one advantage that Nicky Morgan has got is that she's not Michael Gove. An advantage enjoyed by all of us. <laughs> That's also right, yeah. But what we've had allegations of, at least we're hearing, that um, Michael Gove is still in charge of education and she's just some sort of puppet, which is very worrying because his education policies were very, very unpopular. And it was claimed by uh, the, the Independent on Sunday that Mr Gove regularly still gets copies of the Education Secretary's paperwork, which I'm sure is music to her ears. And also music to the papers here, so we'll run with this story very liberally. But his role is uh, leader of chief whip, isn't it? So yeah, chief whip of the Tory party. That's got to be one of the hardest jobs in politics. It must be like herding cats. Yeah, it's. It, I think it's almost one of these things where how on earth do you whip an unwhippable party? Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's absolutely no sense of collective action. So he should really have his hands full trying to whip Tory MPs, but he still has a, a hand in education, which I find quite worrying. Um, because he has been one of the most meddling education secretaries going. I mean, the free school program, we're going to talk about this, the failure, abject failure, in fact, of many free schools. And this is a policy defended by Nicky Morgan, and you would think she would try and distance herself from it, but we'll come on to that. Yeah, I mean, Michael Gove was probably characterised throughout this parliament as someone who took an actual enjoyment out of uh, confrontation, and creating rows, he seemed to have this almost unmatchable ability to find a row out of seemingly quite a non-contentious issue. And then obviously when the things that worth arguing about came, it just kicked off completely. Um, so Nicky Morgan is known and referenced in the BBC article, if you're interested in that. Uh, there's far less confrontational style than Michael Gove, but is obviously that sort of the wonder to what extent does he still have that finger in the pie. Um, just in terms of, of, of that influence, what do you think, Liam... Michael Gove, do you think he's still got a role in it? Do you think it's his paper talk off like a bit of a sort of a little open goal that came along in a quote that was made? Or do you feel that Nicky Morgan, because obviously she was a safe bet, wasn't she, before the election? It was Gove was just too controversial. So they made the safe change. Well, the other thing is that they haven't got enough female cabinet ministers. Um, so that's a, that is a problem for them. They can't, they're not a, a 
real party of equality at all. So, so she solves that problem, and the fact that she's not Michael Gove, as I've mentioned, is quite good. And to be fair, you would expect the previous education secretary to guide the incoming education secretary with the government policies and things like that. But it's been a while now since he left, so I don't know why he's still wielding that influence. But I think it's fair to say that all of the um, coalition's education policies, by and large, come from his reform. Um, no, that's right. There's been nothing changing. new. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the biggest one being free schools, which I think we'll probably come on to, because um, just south of the Hexham constituency in Durham, the free school has been shut down after a really damning Ofsted report. And the day after this news broke about how bad the school was, um, the government decided to withdraw funding from it instantly. And the way it was done, it was announced in Parliament before even parents or teachers or anybody had had a chance to hear it first, which I think is a little bit unprofessional. You shouldn't tell the media way before you inform staff. I think it's, I think it's not the way to do it. I mean, it's right that a school which is failing its children should be closed, but the way it's been rushed through and gone about is more to make a political point than for actual education reasons. And I don't know what you expect, because these free schools have got the freedom to employ unqualified teachers. And that's exactly what's happened at the Durham Free School. And it's just got out of control. Yeah, I think this is kind of an example about um, the way this can go wrong. You know, you kind of, you know, I've got to preface these comments by the fact, you know, everyone knows I work for Pat Glass. She was involved in this. These are my views. Nothing to do with Pat. I'm not passing on any view. If you want that view, you can contact her. But um, and, and ask the question. I think that yes, I didn't know the parents didn't know anything at all. Um, and obviously a lot of parents now have got to sort of keep free the Durham school open. And you kind of understand, I guess. I, I was thinking about this and I sympathise with them because you've got children, Liam, and I, I know you wouldn't sit back and just let your children go to a school you didn't believe in. So if the kids are there you can kind of understand that they probably do have some faith in the school at some level to deliver the education of their kids. But what my view on it very simply is that I've, I haven't been to school. I know very little about it. I know that I don't agree with the you know, the political structure that it's there. I don't believe in, in the way the school's got the freedom. I think we need local authority control just for safeguarding purposes in terms of not just safeguarding kids, but safeguarding the schools making sure it's delivering an education that, that actually works and not wasting all this money and this time. There's a very damning Ofsted report. Quite conveniently, the people involved in the school have now come out and said, well, Ofsted are rubbish. Well, you can't, you know, they're as biased as other people. So I think you've got to go on the information that's in front of us and on that basis they've had a very damning report. They can't just say Ofsted's biased because Ofsted give other academies excellent outstanding results. So for me, that's significant and unfortunately they'll have to find somewhere else to be taught. Nobody in education likes Ofsted, Malcolm. But, I mean, they are usually ex-teachers. Sometimes they do have access to grind, and sometimes they do give really harsh judgments on both schools and colleges. But these are experienced inspectors. They, they will have been teachers in the past or heads themselves, and they don't grade schools out of spite. They are harsh. It is a difficult process, Ofsted. I've been through several Ofsteds. Uh, myself and it's really stressful and really quite quite difficult but you've got to look at the alternative not inspecting schools is worse because you can't have um, teachers failing students no one would defend poor teaching 
And if that's been allowed to happen in free schools because they can employ unqualified teachers and they're free of all scrutiny, um, then it's it's a policy we will not be pursuing and we will we will end. Actually, any that are open, if they're okay, we'll keep them open, but we won't have any new ones. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. I hope it's coming across clearly that, you know, the issue with the school itself, that's to be fought out between them. Um, I think it's important that notwithstanding people have issues with Ofsted, I totally understand that. My mum works for a school and, you know, I know that from when I was at school and also hearing from her when Ofsted's going on, it causes a lot of concern with people and that's you know only natural um there has to be some sort of checks on these types of places and where there's concerns raised yes there's around have some names about why there's concerns and if they exist but ultimately um these checks i think are important for for everyone's sake um so hopefully that resolves itself quickly but it's certainly an unfortunate um, it's an, an example very close to home for us. Yeah, to, that's right. The local education authority has guaranteed that they do have places for the, the students that attended those schools. And I hope for the sake of, of those students that they get sorted quickly and it's not too disruptive for those. Absolutely. And obviously the, this is where politics intervenes with, with people's lives. And obviously it's important to have these arguments ideologically, but ultimately there's kids' education at stake. Um, so you, like you say, speed is key. In moving forward. So Liam, do you want to talk about um, there's a speech to be made by David Cameron tomorrow and we're going to speculate on what's going to be in it? Yeah, they're always heavily trailed, these speeches. There never any surprises in politics anymore. So I heard already that David Cameron's going to make a speech tomorrow and uh, there's a couple of things he's going to talk about. One, ring fencing of the school's budget and two, an extension of what is a labour policy of having schools become academies. Um, and allowing them freedoms, not free schools, but allowing them freedoms to spend their own budgets and to then access services if they would wish to from the local authority. So yeah, he's going to announce two things tomorrow. The first is ring fencing, which seems only right that the school's budget should be ring fenced. And that's exactly what David Cameron's um, going to do. So there won't be any cuts in the education budget for schools. In further education, we educate uh, 16 to 18 year olds the same and, and some further education colleges even move into the 14 to 19 curriculum but colleges budgets aren't ring fenced so they're not protected which this is where the problem is if you ring fence one area of spending and you're a party who's pledged to continue austerity what that means is that the areas of spending which you've already cut you've already been hammering areas of spending like local government during this parliament that they are hit even further and they've already been hit if you choose to ring fence things like um, education and the nhs so i have got a problem with ring fencing only because it comes with austerity so the the policy that that is going to be announced tomorrow should really strike fear into every voter because he's saying he's ring fencing this budget which means areas which have already been cut are going to get even worse cuts and, and We'll be stuck. We will be delivering only statutory services. There'll be there'll be nothing left. Well, we've seen a very very similar thing. Liam, almost word for word that you said there, in the way that the reality for Durham County Council, I'm sure Northumberland Council, in terms of how the ring fencing of the adults and social care budget for you council, have to ring fence that because um, these people's lives, aren't they? Exactly, and that's meant forty percent cuts elsewhere, which the yeah, elsewhere for yeah, you yeah. would be the you know you, you where you work essentially yeah. and that level of education. So, I think you're absolutely right to raise these concerns. I think it's a very 
practical concern that voters may not be aware of, but I'm sure listening to you, I would say you're backed up by the local government's experience over the last four years. And hopefully that's not your sort of imminent experience coming forward. But I think with this policy, it may well be. Um, so in terms of the forced academy point, how do you see that panning out? Well, it's um, what he said, or what he's going to say, I'm not talking about as if he's already said it. What he said is, is that schools which, in his view, are coasting, so these are schools which are just coasting along and Ofsted have been in, and they will get a notice to improve if they, if they stagnate, if they don't continually improve. Right. Uh, if they're under local authority control, they will be forced to become academies and they'll have an enforced change of leadership. Um, and I think academies were a good idea. It strikes a balance between uh, local authority-run schools and this free-for-all, free schools that we've already mentioned. So is, is, is that the an ideological belief that a stagnating school will improve us as an academy? Well, you've got to, you've got to, what you've got to change is what happens in the classroom. If you yeah. need to reform education, you have to change what goes on in the classroom. And um, parents aren't bothered about structures. Students aren't even aware, aware of the structure True. of the school. So I think what we need to get right is we need to have high standards in schools. We need to raise aspirations in areas um, where we and, and we need to really diversify what students choose to do. So we need investment back in careers, services. So the vocational route does seem just as valid as the, the academic route. But Absolutely. you can do all of these things without forcing schools to become academies. So I think we get too tied up in structures. We spend too long talking about structures and not long enough talking about the quality of education which children get. Well, I know that um, there's a couple of points I'll make to follow up. But just to pass on that Pat uh, Glass, who I work for, has always said that um, rather than a top-down reorganisation, sort of AKA what's happened in NHS, very costly and time-consuming, and like, like you say, um, not really noticed by the students at all, um, it comes down to the quality of teaching. Pat always says that you address these things through the funding mechanism by putting conditions in place on funding so that they have to follow a certain you know, broad strategy. Also, I remember, just to come back on the point you meant about kids not noticing, immediately I thought, I've got to share this. Pat has a youth forum that meets with representatives from each school, whether at academy or state school or college, and she asks them questions that she feeds back into the Education Select Committee. And one of the questions that she asked them was when, uh, I'm trying to think who this was now, it was Walsingham School um, changed their head teacher. And Pat asked the children, the students, you know, what's it like? What's is there anything different? Not sort of prying, just saying, you know, what's changed? What's better? And and they didn't they said, oh, nothing. It's the same. So the kids just sort of carried on at school, enjoying the lessons and, and all that sort of thing. And she asked the same question to Parkside at Willington, which had had an even bigger change. Same head, same head teacher, but uh, they'd gone from a school to an academy. And what's different? And at that point, the children couldn't really give you a difference. They just carried on learning, and the teachers were teaching them things. And you can kind of see that. And I think I think that reinforces your point that it's very much a uh, we can get too bogged down in these tough sorts of battles. And ultimately, the kids go to school and they have lessons. And we've got to make sure that those lessons are good and equips them with qualifications. So I totally back you up with the careers advice. I drifted for years because I never got any decent advice. Still uh, drifting, Margo. I would I would argue against that. I'm a successful podcast host, Liam. <laughs> um, but yes, you're right. I think that we need those back into schools and I would I'll back you up 100% there. So an interesting speech coming up tomorrow. If you haven't heard it, everyone go and have a read of it. See what that means. And like we said at the start of the podcast, some serious dividing lines coming if you're wondering who to vote for. You should probably have a view either way. <laughs> well, 
just yeah, back on that speech, you, you'll make ring fencing sound like a good idea, but you you just have to bear in mind that he's ring fencing certain budgets at the same time as driving spending down to levels that we haven't seen since the 1930s. And he still hasn't identified this huge 25 billion across uh, the board cut where it's going to come from to fund all these other things that he well, was planning on doing. Yeah, so he, all he accuses Labour of unfunded spending, spending cuts, but they have been the worst at it during this government. Which, which actually surprised me because there was so hard on us for, for what we might do in that area that we didn't actually do. We've, well, we've costed we've it all. all and we've said... Exactly. And he, he didn't <laughs> then do it. You're thinking, like, surely you're not going to be so silly as to, like, say, you know, oh, you don't you be doing this and then just go and do it? Yeah. It's mad. Well, it's smoke and mirrors, isn't it? What we've said yeah. is we'll get the OBR to audit our manifesto and that or that offer is open. Uh, and I don't think the Tories would want the Office for Budget Responsibility yeah. anywhere near their manifesto. And again, I'd, I'd, at the risk of labouring the point, um, no pun intended, uh, the... The fact that we've done that was probably off the back of that criticism just to make sure we didn't leave an open goal to get criticised like that. And I would never have expected in a million years for him to do exactly what he'd accused us of perhaps about to do. Very odd. But, you know, we'll take it and hopefully you guys notice it as well. Um, what have you been up to, look, campaigning, Liam? Well, we're carrying on with the campaign to save services at Hexham Hospital. Um this is a massive issue, and in fact, I was uh, campaigning in West Northumberland, and then we went over the border to Cumbria, and we helped Lee Sheriff in, in her campaign over in Carlisle. And someone on the door in Carlisle who said, so where have you come from? Obviously, he heard my accent, and I wasn't from Carlisle. So I told him I was a parliamentary candidate for Hexham, and he'd heard in Carlisle about the services like a &E being stripped out of Hexham Hospital. And um, what he was saying was that the the people from Carlisle would like to go to Hexham Hospital and be treated there. It's a very, very good hospital and it's an excellent facility. But where we risk having services stripped out, we need to put a stop to it, whether that's A&E or whether it's pathology that we've heard that, that has already, in fact, been stripped out. So they can only do really basic pathology and, and blood tests at Hexham Hospital. The rest have to go out elsewhere. So that campaign's in full swing. Um, just general campaign, and we're listening to voters in Halt Whistle at the weekend and I think many voters agree that we need a change of government they're pleased to see Labour on the doorstep and we might not have the money that UKIP and the Tories have to spend but we certainly can have more conversations and that's what I'll be doing between now and May Yep and voters always want to know that you're listening to them just in terms of going back on your point you made about the the health and things there's actually a very similar issue of uh, health services being reduced in Bishop Auckland Hospital in North West Durham as well uh, well, actually, it's not in northwest Durham, but obviously these these types of things are affected further than constituency boundaries, um, and I think we, we are seeing a regionalisation of our NHS. And I think the big thing that we have to address, and we have through more doctors and nurses, is we need to you know sort the ambulances out. We've got issues with any. &E. You really have to look carefully as voters on who you trust most with the NHS, and uh, you know. I can't imagine that you would trust the Tories with the NHS more unless you're already predisposed as a Tory voter. But I do think you need to look very carefully at that because our NHS is under severe pressure and needs um, management by people who understand the NHS and how it works. And I can't see anyone better than the people who created it in the first place. So that's a really important issue as we move towards May the 7th. Well, that's about it for today. We're going to watch the Super Bowl now, aren't we? We are. Um, so if you're wondering why the podcast is late, it's because we recorded it late. But uh, for anyone listening on the archive, you won't have a clue what I'm on about. So uh, next week we'll be back uh, again, a week close to the election. Hopefully we'll loads to talk about. Don't forget, you can keep up to date with what Liam's doing 
by following Liam R. Carr on Twitter. Make sure you get the R in there. Um, or it'll be somebody else who you probably wonder why he's not talking about politics, whoever he is. Shout out to Liam Carr um, on Twitter. Uh, I'm Mal255. Liam's also on liamrcar.blogspot.com. That's right, yeah. And I, there's and, a blog up there just gone up about the 100 days announcement, like I was saying, the differences between the two parties. And, of course, you have Facebook as well. If people yeah, I'm on Facebook. If you, if you search Liam Carr Hexham, you'll find me there. Yeah, so Liam is literally everywhere on the internet. If you want to find him, you will not have a problem. I've and, even got uh, YouTube, haven't I? He has a YouTube that I'm I'm involved with, if, if you like it, and if not, it's all his work. Um, but please check that out as well and we will try and put another video up at some point because I think it's a great it's a, a way, the way that things are going you know everyone's got to have a channel um, not many MPs have them at the minute but I think that's going to change next time but thank you for watching everyone uh, or listening even and uh, we'll see you next time and please subscribe and tell your friends thanks for listening